Hello and welcome to Grace Talks, a fresh podcast where we discuss all kinds of things, including Jesus, theology, the Bible, movies, art, music, culture, challenging questions, etc. I'm your host, David Avila, coming to you from Trinity Abundant Life Church in Austin, Texas. Today in episode three of our series on Grace Talks called Walking with Jesus, I take a look at the testing of Adam and Jesus, the second Adam. In the beginning of the Bible, when we're introduced to Adam, we're already pointed to the second Adam who is to come. In the forming of Eve and in the love of Adam for Eve as bone of his bones and flesh of his flesh, what do we see? We see Christ also revealed in his jealous love for the church. When we find Adam being tested in the garden, what does that do? That points us to the testing of Christ. And yes, we know that Adam disobeyed, whereas Christ was faithful, yet nonetheless, Matthew, Mark, and Luke's gospel all speak of Christ's temptation in the desert. And in the gospel accounts of the temptation, there is an underlying reference to Adam's testing in the garden. When we find Jesus being tested, coming at the very outset of his ministry, it was the Holy Spirit that drove Christ into the desert. Adam was tested that he might be confirmed as the Son. Jesus, too, was tested in his sonship. What do we find in the garden? Adam meets the serpent. What do we find in Christ's temptation? We find Jesus meeting the, quote, prince of this world in combat. Just as we should see how Genesis points us to the Gospels, so we should appreciate, too, how the Gospels point us back to Genesis. And so when we find Jesus being tested, we're not to look at it as an example of how we should deal with temptation. We see it as one who stood in our place and represented us the same way Adam in the garden represented us. The first Adam failed in his representation and because of Adam's failure, we all fell. But because our second Adam in the temptation in the desert did not fail. Satan's temptation is directed at Christ's sonship. Is he the divine son? Has he come to do the Father's will? Satan aimed to cause Jesus to doubt the goodness of God. The same aim that the serpent had with Eve. Did God really say that you must not eat from any tree in the garden? He totally exaggerated the divine prohibition in the Garden of Eden to insinuate that God was incredibly uncaring about Adam and Eve and hostile to their progress. It was far from the truth. And in the wilderness, it may have seemed that Satan would have had a much easier task. Adam and Eve lacked nothing. Jesus was in the last stages of starvation. It was God who put Adam and Eve in the garden, and he drove Jesus into the wilderness. Yet Satan did not approach Christ nearly so directly. He didn't say, did God really drive you here to this wasteland to let you die? Rather, he only suggested that Christ provide for himself, since it would seem that his father was not providing for him. And at the same time, 
Satan suggested that by providing for himself, Jesus could clear up any doubts about his own identity, that he was the true Son of God. Because remember, just shortly before this, Jesus had heard the voice from heaven declaring that he was the Son of God. And now Satan would have him question that word, hath God said. Well, Jesus was repulsed by the temptation by using the word of God quoted from Deuteronomy. Jesus not only filled the role of the second Adam, the true son of God, he was also the true Israel, God's son. Israel too had been tested in his sonship after God had said to Pharaoh, let my son go that he may serve me. We find that in Exodus 4.23. God led the people of Israel in the desert for 40 years to prove them, to see if they would learn that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. God's words to Israel were given from Sinai in the Ten Commandments. They were also given to guide the march of Israel as they struck camp and pitched tents at the word of the Lord. What the people of Israel failed to do, Jesus did. And in their hunger, they failed to trust the word of God. They not only doubted God's goodness, they defied it and despised the manna of his provision. But Jesus, in contrast to both Adam and Israel, was obedient as the true Son of God. So after his first temptation fell, Satan then took Jesus to the top of the temple and told him to cast himself down. And that temptation invited Jesus to exchange faith for sight. And what you may not understand, that this really had more force than you might recognize. For what Satan had done, he quoted a psalm that clearly contained God's promise to his Messiah. Jesus shaped his life as the one in whom the scriptures were fulfilled. And now Satan was asking Jesus not to disobey scripture, but actually to fulfill it. You see, what Satan was actually proposing in this temptation was that Jesus would lack faith if he refused to put God to the test. Because if he did not jump, it must be because he couldn't believe that the angels would lift him up before he hit the pavement of the temple below. In the garden, Satan had directly contradicted the word of God. You shall not surely die, Satan says. But you see, when Satan spoke to Jesus, he was far from contradicting the word of God. He appears to be calling Jesus to believe it and to act on it. But you see, it's not faith to demand that God show once and for all whether his promises are true. This is not to receive the testing that God sends. It's rather to put God to the test. And so Adam and Eve tempted God by daring him, as it were, to carry out his threatened punishment for disobedience. Satan wanted Christ to challenge God's faithfulness in a much less direct way, but he wanted him to act on doubt of the same kind. Because you see, there would be no other reason to leap from the temple roof except to determine once and for all whether God would keep his promise. To Eve, Satan essentially said, eat, you're not going to die, for God has lied to you. To Christ, he said, jump, you're not going to die unless God has lied to you. So Satan had one more temptation presented as the last in the Gospel of Matthew. He takes Jesus to a high mountain, shows him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and promised to make Jesus king over them all if he would just fall down 
and worship Satan as the one authorized to give it away. Again, the parallel with the temptation in the garden is very striking. Adam had been given dominion over the world by God. It was his legitimate calling. Yet, yet Satan suggested that a greater dominion was possible, one in which the royalty of Adam and Eve would take on a different character, a glory they couldn't even imagine. They could become as God. They could be much more than just gardeners. They could be mighty rivals to God, having the knowledge that God himself possessed of good and evil. So, of course, as Satan would have it, God was not to be worshipped, but envied, not served, but thwarted. Man could be his own God, little g, build his own dominion, possess the world not as God's steward, but as an absolute monarch. And so the tempter, of course, would create the assumption that he was the friend and advocate of man, that he intervened to deliver man from the exploitation by God and to open up for him the destiny he desired. But you see, if Adam and Eve had not been blinded by their own desires, they would have questioned the authority of that snake. Who was this creature who called God a liar? It was obvious that as Adam and Eve rejected the word of the Lord, they became captive to the word of the devil. Satan didn't openly ask Adam to worship and bow down, but that was basically the same thing that he was doing in the garden. By obeying the serpent, Adam and Eve had made themselves the friends of Satan and the enemies of God. And in the temptation of Jesus, Satan followed the same strategy, making an issue of the nature and calling of Jesus as the true Son of God. Are you really the Son of God? Because you see, Jesus was the heir of all the kingdoms of the world and the Lord of the principalities and powers. And for Jesus to receive his proper dominion at once would obviously mean avoiding the suffering and death he knew that the Father had called him to. Satan pretended that Jesus could get his inheritance by just doing the simple thing of acknowledging him as the donor. Of course, Jesus refused Satan's offer and proceeded to demonstrate an authority that Satan had not offered, the authority to command Satan to depart. So you see, what Adam desired was a greater authority that God had given and inherited shame and doom. He would set himself up as God's rival and therefore set himself up against God, siding with the serpent. Jesus desired to serve his father and inherited dominion beyond the dreams of Adam or of Satan, a dominion that doesn't rival God's kingdom, but that is one with his kingdom. At the right hand of the father, Jesus Christ, the God-man, exercises total judgment and rule over all creation. Even before Christ is exalted to the father's right hand, Jesus on earth displayed divine authority. Not only could he speak with divine power, but he could heal, he commanded the demons to depart, and he bound the strong man, Satan, in single combat and prevailed. Thank you for listening to Grace Talks. We look forward to hanging out again next week.